Welcome back to Roll for Enterprise, the podcast described as the squishy heart at the center of Enterprise IT. And for once this week, all four of us are present after some minor technical shenanigans. Hey, gang, good to have you all back. Nice to be back. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, thanks. So big week this week, uh, especially if you're a fan of obscure internet protocols, as uh, Facebook gave everyone an opportunity to brush up on uh, BGP and what that's all about. It's not obscure. Come on, come on, come on. Zach's the resident expert on, on network. It's it's not obscure, Zach, right? No, no. Come on. The internet runs on BGP. Is it perfect? No, it's been around. But by now, you should know how to leverage it and use it correctly, right, Facebook? I mean, everyone else is. I don't know. What are you doing? Don't you have to, uh, <laughs> what is so hard? Hmm. I should have known, yeah, actually, for the two of you, it's a daily occurrence. But I have to admit, I've never used uh, BGP in in anger i know kind of what it is but more in theory and I mean, dns is scary enough as you know if something breaks it's always dns yeah exactly exactly it's you know i think the bigger thing that we might be missing is what happened around surely this you know they're not making all these changes like this surely there's an operational procedure or are they validating what they're doing i mean i think there's something else at play here we were focused on the outage itself but how did how does this happen for Facebook? Because there was some configuration change, and what you're looking for is the press release that blames the intern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they were also very adamant that no angle grinders were harmed in the resolution of this incident. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing is, you know, the conspiracy theorists came out because this was after like uh, the 60 Minutes interview with the Facebook whistleblower. Uh, but of course, the conspiracy theory couldn't have gained win because Facebook was down. So, you know, if they were deleting <laughs> files in the back end, nobody could have talked about it and, and pushed the, the philosophy online. So, yeah, Twitter can only do so much. Uh, that 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 heat dial on, uh, on Facebook is much better. So turns out, turns out. But yeah, and there was an interesting division in the reactions on Twitter, which was still up. Uh, so about half of the people went to conspiracy theory is this a reaction to the current political difficulties facebook's in so they thought okay we'll pull the plug and see how you like it without us and then they realized oh wait they actually like it quick quick plug it back in um and the other half was the people who've actually run complex systems in production were like oh yeah that totally makes sense everything's held together with bubble gum and bailing twine behind the scenes and we've just run out of bubble gum <laughs> that was kind of the, the interesting thing to me, just how many people don't realize the, the fragility of these things and just the, the stack of abstractions that's going on behind the scenes. It, it's amazing that the internet works at all, really. If you... but, but the whole philosophy of like move fast and break things, I mean, at some point you need to get so big that you put in some, um, yeah, some better systems or better checks and balances, I would say, behind the scenes. Uh, I don't know what you guys Which is the that, other but... thing, especially, so here's where a non-North American perspective comes in. So in the US, it was mainly about Facebook itself, the products being down, and to some extent Instagram. Here in Europe, the WhatsApp outage was much more significant mm -hmm. than either of those two. Uh, my son had a question about homework. The way parent groups are arranged over here, it's, it's all WhatsApp groups. Uh, I'm in, I don't even know, at least a dozen WhatsApp groups for various school classes and activities and whatever and whatsapp down none of those uh networks were working so the the homework question in the end you know we did manage to route it through other networks but it it was a major disruption 
not having WhatsApp. And we don't even, in Italy, we don't even do WhatsApp for business that much. In other countries, I gather in India, for instance, WhatsApp for business is a major, major thing. Or people who build their business around Facebook pages, again, that, that was completely out. And so people focusing on, oh, people aren't sharing funny memes and pictures of their cats. It's like, yes, but... There's commercial implications as well, though, these kinds of things. Can, can you imagine if this outage happened at, like, in Equinix, for example, right? 90% of the internet traffic in the world. <laughs> really, can you imagine the outage there, right? And and the impact, all the cloud providers down, everybody else. I just think to myself, wow. So yeah, Someone tripped over in the Equinix data center and hit the Halon yeah. release switch. Oh, no, wait, we're not allowed Halon anymore. <laughs> China, I don't, I don't hear about these outages in China. I mean, do they really? Do they happen there? Are they probably doing? Would it? they tell you? Would they, they really tell you? Very hmm. true. Very true. Then they have their their version of the chaos monkey. It's a you know the friendly policeman who comes in and says we're shutting down now, <laughs> and so you get yeah. to practice your disaster recovery frequently. I agree with what Lilac said. I think yeah, they probably wouldn't tell us. You're right. They were going just uh, yeah. Wait, this has to be real. Like I remember decades ago when we first started virtualizing things. Remember when that was cute? That was super cute. And and we started layering <laughs> abstraction over abstraction over abstraction. And I just kept having this image in my mind that it stuck with me for decades of like, if there's like just a little dead fly underneath multiple layers of shellac, at what point are you going to have to tunnel all the way down to freaking get that bug out of the system? And how many layers do you have to go through? And how are you even going to find it? And essentially, our infrastructure is built like that right now, right? We just are like, let's just abstract this one more time and see if nothing bad happens. Yeah, it's a princess and the pea all over again. It Let is. me uh, I, I have an awesome, awesome story on that one. You know, there was this company in Canada, which she'll rename, rename Nameless, who was actually worried about some legacy systems and moving them from one city to another because they were shutting down a building. Uh, and they built this like enormous like plan. They were gonna like kind of mirror hard drives and, and ship systems across the country, all this. And then they went into the data center to start executing. And, and some sysadmin had virtualized everything to a couple of boxes and there were pizza boxes sitting there. And there was this new thing called VM and he just did it. Yeah, true story. <laughs> there you go. You know? But, and uh, then there was but, the famous story, I think it was a US university that lost a server. It was online, it was pinging. I was still serving as workloads, but they couldn't physically locate it. And they ended up doing some really fancy stuff, timing the signals in the copper of the Ethernet wires. And they found this had been drywalled off on its own in a, in a room that no longer had I any think access. That's apocryphal. <laughs> I truly do. Um, but the, we used to, so when I first started as a, at a startup like a thousand years ago, it was at the dawn of virtualization. And, the, and this is an American joke, so uh, Dominic, you may not. But like our, our tagline, our joke on the t-shirts that we gave away at, at VMworld, which was like the second VMworld ever, um, was uh, it's 5 p.m. Do you know where your VM is? Yeah. <laughs> it was a good time. Yeah. You know, but bringing it back, bringing it back to this whole BGP thing, I think one thing that it showed is like if a government wanted to take down any part of this in their country, they can. And I think that's where a lot of people were uh, were thinking from an angle perspective after this, especially with the revelations on on Facebook. But um, yeah, well, Zach, how 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 easy was it to make the mistake that they made? I mean, how easy that's, was that's it? That's what I'm saying. I, I mean, yeah, it's. Sure, it's it's easy. I mean, if you 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 know you have the wrong 
uh, ASN number, for, which is, um, you know, BGP uses leverages ASN numbers, you know, for distinguishers. But how does that happen at Facebook? I guess that's my point, right? This is, you know, they make changes all the time. That's, I don't understand how this could even happen, right? Where there's no checks and balances. Does somebody not submit something that they didn't review? Was there no review board? That's what my confusion is around this. I, I don't understand how this happens. Well, you're a bit of a conspiracy theorist. Uh, there you go. I mean, for the people who thought it was a conspiracy theory and thought it was deliberate or whatever, uh, there was uh, an interesting counterexample. So Twitch, the, the Amazon-owned Amazon streaming video service beloved of gamers, uh, they were memeing away at haha Facebook down. Uh, and then they had their own major misconfiguration that led to all of their source code leaking and the payout data to Twitch creators. Uh, so that's all on uh, on the BitTorrent, uh, I gather, if you want to go and look at that. And uh, NPM also had an outage just uh, yesterday as we record this. Uh, so we'll put the links to both of those events in the show notes. Um, some speculate that the conspiracy theory is actually different because Verica just launched their open instance database, The Void. And so everyone's trying to get their logo at the top of the, the Void page. I don't feel that any CIO wants that on their to-do list. Possibly not. The Twitch one was pretty bad because it was like everything kind of came out, right? I mean, they basically copied all data. That's what I had heard, right? How does that happen though, right? Like, it was again, it was a misconfiguration. They, they left something open that should have been locked down. I forget the exact details, but something was world accessible that should not have been. Lord in heaven. It's just, it's interesting. How important is Facebook? I mean, it's a social media platform. Of course, you know, you had a good point. The messaging platform went down and, and other things, but is that important in our culture? I mean, that's a problem. And yeah, definitely that we have something like WhatsApp, like Facebook Messenger or Facebook uh, Marketplace that is effectively a utility, but doesn't operate like one and isn't transparent as one and regulated as one. And I think this outage, certainly here in Europe, once again, it provoked a lot of conversation along those lines. We'll see if it actually goes anywhere, or if it dies down, same as all of the other times that there's been this type of outage. But people are talking very seriously about, you know, maybe we shouldn't let one company be this central to so many things. So I will I will end it on this. Uh, you know, my concern is this: is a lot of these companies, and you know this, Mike, are going to what's called you know software defined WANs, where they're leveraging internet pipes, right? They're leveraging DIA. They're moving away from their private circuits, right, Mike? I think you guys are doing something similar, maybe. So what happens here now if your business is running across the internet and an outage happens? This could this stretches out into the enterprise, right, Mike? I'm, I'm looking at you, Mike, because I, I think you know what I'm talking about. But I think you're absolutely right, um, Zach. And and I mean, the, the internet should be smart enough to reroute and all that. But if you do have a, a big outage, yeah, I mean, companies are going to face it, but they would face it, you know, with the big providers um, anyway. So it, um, you know, it, it is a weakness, but it's always been a weakness, right? Uh, I, I think that's... Um, that's the gist of it. Uh, back on Facebook, though, I mean, or how important are they? I mean, they really have become the town square of the internet. I mean, if you think back to like Yahoo and Google trying to catalog and do search, sure. But I think when people want to have a conversation, when they want to come to the town square, if you're, 
mimicking like the real world it's it's become facebook i and to be honest with what uh, dominic mentioned at the beginning whatsapp is a lot more um concerning especially along communications because i think there there is some stuff that uh, companies are doing that is um maybe they shouldn't be doing on whatsapp or or facebook or whatever but yeah i i think um that's going to be a hard lesson and i see it more in europe than i do in north america so can let's we talk about WhatsApp for one second, because I definitely see that that's an issue. And we have some measure of school-based WhatsApp groups and so forth in our lives. But then when I think about it, we say, well, gosh, we don't want Facebook to be controlling all of this. Okay, well, the, the, the obvious alternative for the parent chat is like an iMessage or SMS-based system. Those are worse for a number of reasons. But if everybody's on the Apple platform, it's okay. And then for some reason, we're not saying... Well, Apple is controlling 90% of our text messages these days. What the hell? Or Signal is controlling a large percentage of our, like, I think it's interesting. I, I don't particularly like Facebook. I don't, I'm not an advocate, but I think it's interesting that they are the target of this when in fact we could actually lob the same complaint against iMessage. I think, I just did a bunch of tech support on iMessage the other day with a company and it was delightful. Like they were running their whole help desk System it's really good, yeah. It's really good. So I'm going to trot out one of my pet theories. Uh, the The problem with the internet is we let all the muggles on. Uh, so back in the day, we I don't had know what muggles are. If you guys do, that's great. But I have no idea. The, so. the normies, oh, Harry <laughs> the civilians. Out. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, so we let uh, non techies on. So back in back in the day, there were half a dozen serious messaging networks and most of us techies then had a multi-protocol chat clients that would talk to all of them so it could be on icq yes i still remember my icq number and yahoo chat and aol and this that and the other msn and it was all in in one window so any one of those going down you could interpret it as damage and root around it uh to quote uh, a phrase and these days, most people don't have the patience to mess around with all of that and have a folder with a dozen messaging apps on their phone. They have one and they live in that one. And WhatsApp has kind of defaulted to being the one because it's multi-platform, it's free, uh, it's easy. And nobody loves it, but nobody hates it enough to move to something else because most people, they're like, okay, this is where the, the class mums uh, have the chat because... It's usually the mums. Sorry, we should do more, but um, I can't deal with group chats. I hate them. Um, slight side sidebar tangent there. But I think messaging is the is the gateway to your users, and yeah. everybody yeah. has everybody has a messaging platform, and it's kind of like the search engine or like Google trying to steal clicks, right? Like if you search for yeah. something, they'll present you the Wikipedia results without having to go to Wikipedia, right? So yeah. I think messaging is is using the same type of philosophy if you go to it because. Yeah, Instagram, you can start with Facebook and, and it goes into Instagram IM, right? Which is the same as Facebook Messenger. And so if you look and, and then like, let's take that to enterprise teams has chat, uh, you know, Zoom, I think, uh, I think wants to go there, but everybody kind of develops their own, their own chat. I, I, and and they all like want that. to be the one to rule the them one, all, the one to with rule the them all. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the why everybody loves iMessage because Apple hasn't violated our trust. At least they haven't violated it yet, right? And uh, and they're very thoughtful on privacy, which is why I think people tend to gravitate there. Um, 
which is which is awkward because in the U.S., I mean, we're we're willing to forsake privacy for convenience. Uh, not a lot of people aren't using WhatsApp, but in Europe, it seems that there's a lot of trust for WhatsApp. Which, yeah, I can't get my my head around how that's all working. So, again, I don't think there's trust. I just think most of the people using WhatsApp are not the people who think deeply about trust that they have for chat protocols. They just this is the thing everyone uses the thing. Okay, I shall also use the thing, and then they move on to something else that's more relevant to them. Which yep, is yep. to be very clear, I'm not criticizing that. That's uh, uh, an admirable way to live, and we're all like that about things that we don't care about deeply. We just all happen to care deeply about tech, uh, as do you, dear audience. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Um, I'm sure we'll return to this point, but actually, I do have a segue into the next topic. Because one of the interesting things that's happening lately is the opening up of development to people who are not techies, who think deeply and learn uh, programming languages and the abstruse abstract syntax that comes with them. Uh, and so low-code, no-code is really, really interesting. And there have been a couple of developments uh, this week, uh, which actually, uh, full disclosure, intersect with my day job. Uh, so Databricks, the data analytics uh, company, they acquired a low-code, no-code company to expand their Lakehouse platform. And they explicitly talk about how uh, people who are domain experts can do more interesting things with data if they don't have to do it with uh, some obscure programming language, if they can do it in a, in a more visually uh, comprehensible way. And uh, my own employer, uh, MongoDB, is partnering with uh, one of the big low-code, no-code players, which is Uncork. Uh, and I'll drop uh, a link in the show notes to something that explains how that works in practice. But I think this is a really interesting development. And the fact that both of these drop in the same week is uh, just a cherry on top. Uh, to be honest, I mean, if we go back to like Databricks, I think... You know, we, we spoke about, I think, a couple of episodes ago about their funding round. I think they're the most underrated company out there right now um, for the simple reason of what they're doing, right? Okay, Data Lake, Lake House, whatever. But um, if you look at how IT is structured today, I mean, I don't know that we're going to have IT departments as we know them today, tomorrow. I think that footprint will continue to shrink. And this makes complete sense. I mean... Look, it's it's at the end of the day, it's business data, right? So, okay, the the IT professionals come in, they build a platform, they make sure the platform runs, but who understands that data? Who can present it visually that makes sense where business can take business decisions? It's going to be business users. So this whole citizen development movement, like no code, low code. Yeah. I mean, why do you want IT to be the gatekeepers of it? IT builds the platform and everybody else uses it. So this makes complete sense if you want to unlock the value of Databricks. And if you think about it, they're probably having discussions today. If you look at their whole sales process and whatever, and now I have the marketing people, they're probably talking to a bunch of tech geeks, right? You don't want to talk to the tech geeks. If you can do something amazing, you want to talk to the business people. So talk to the business people. We could do this. Then talk to your IT people about how to make it happen. They'll tell you no, but trust me, they'll, they'll come around once uh, once the business sees the dollars associated to it. And I think that's why everybody's, everybody's going to it. I, it you know, uh, we spoke earlier about messaging and how messaging used to be like only techies kind of centralizing it. This is a breakthrough. Like, like development will move to, to become everybody's job and it'll just be like something you do as part of every job. It's, it's like, yes, this is a skill you need. It's done. Like no code, low code should make it easier. If if you don't, if you can't grasp it, you're done. I mean, that's that's what it's ultimately going to come down to. 
It's all about abstraction, right? And we're abstracting higher and higher in the stack. The higher you go with the abstraction, the easier it is. And when the fly dies 17 levels down, Lilac has to go to the top. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I just want to put a little asterisk on that because I actually think it's, I, I think this is a different situation. I think there's a distinction between enabling citizen developers such as they are to access a data lake or lake house or whatever the hell it is and, and extract knowledge and build hypotheses and drive business decisions and so forth right and i can i believe me i would love a million kinds of reports i don't have every single day in my life and that would be amazing i think that's completely different have you called data bricks have i called it <laughs> um i i the one thing i would say though is i don't expect the reporting that i build out here in a business unit to actually be foundational to the IT infrastructure going forward, right? And this isn't like low code, no code network configuration done by citizen networkers, right? This is actually edge consumption of computing. It is the edge, it's not the core of the infrastructure platform. I don't expect you, Mike, to maintain my no code like data analytics work. Right. Yeah, nobody's a, going to contribute to the Linux kernel using one of these platforms anytime that's soon. Right. That's but right. on the other hand, I do think you make a very good point. I do think the key to enterprise adoption of this stuff for anything more than a data analyst trying to figure out better ways to ask questions of their data, the key to getting beyond that one singular use case of edge consumption is going to be integration with the more traditional sorts of development with versioning and uh, performance tuning and vulnerability assessment and instrumentation and, 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 and. I mean, but, you essentially need a CI/CD workflow here, yeah. right? Like, yeah, I, no, nobody I, I needs think this I like you're right. IT is still needed. I wouldn't say they're not needed at all. I think she's right. I just think they need to connect the dots and, uh, you know, focus, you know, focus. Maybe they're more, you know, business consultants for IT. I, I think, you know, to say that IT is not going to be needed is a little bit, uh, yeah, I don't think that's accurate. I think IT will be needed even more because all of the lay nerds are going to be out there trying to like build out stuff. And at the end of the day, the foundational platforms upon which they're working are, are going to become more and more critical. I think the, yeah. the big thing is that you just have to get over whatever remaining hubris you have lingered on from the 1970s that you're the only one who gets to operate the big heavy machinery. Exactly. I think you guys. I, I think you guys are all looking at it from a technology type company, and technologists will certainly be still needed. But you're looking at it from from a big like if you're a big enterprise company and your business is not technology, I, I don't know that the tech people you need are the tech people that you have today in, in the future. So yes, somebody will have to build it, but is some regular Joe Schmo company going to start taking on like? Uh, uh, coders left and right. I, I don't know that, that that will continue because I think they'll, there'll be systems and that abstraction layer will continue to move up where I think it'll become everybody's kind of job. Now, the security people, the privacy people, the you know, that's where it becomes a bit more, uh, how should I say this, but you know, who you want to give access to what data and what data you're putting where is going to become a little more critical, but, but that's different. I, I, I don't see that. I, I see that differentiating away from, from IT and technologists altogether, right? It's becoming privacy people. It's becoming security people. InfoSec, yeah. we shouldn't say, we shouldn't say cyber anymore, right? So, yeah, I think that the, the end result is probably going to be an explosion in, in usage. It's not going to endanger the jobs of anyone working in IT today, but it's going to enable new forms uh, of usage that don't exist today, like uh, clouds did. 
uh, you know, back when you had to buy a million dollars worth of sun gear just to get to minimum viable product. So that was a big barrier to entry. <laughs> now you yeah. can do it with, uh, you know, $100 of cloud credits and get your product up and running and start proving it out. And that's enabled a whole bunch of things that never would have got off the ground in the old model. And that doesn't mean the the stuff that can get a million dollars funding doesn't happen. Uh, that happens too, but then a whole bunch of new stuff is happening as well. And the other thing I would say is understanding how the abstractions work and how they leak can sometimes be very interesting. Like when somebody sent me uh, a copy-protected Google Doc, I don't know if you've ever received one of these, the browser will actually prevent you from right-clicking and selecting text to copy out of it, which is like, okay, but you know you already sent me this text. There is HTML on my drive right now, and, you know, 10 seconds with the code inspector found the text and copied it out of that. Because at that point, you know, you, you've now challenged me. I am going to get this text <laughs> by hook or by crook. There's this new iOS feature. Just take a picture and then you copy paste. But hey, who's 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 counting? Yeah, so. yeah there you go. That, well, that was actually before <laughs> iOS 15 went GA that this happened. Um, yeah. So we also have some uh, quick news. Uh, we've talked several times before on the show about supply chain challenges, specifically around uh, integrated circuits. And Cisco has announced that they're going to be raising prices on a bunch of their gear precisely due to supply chain challenges. Uh, I think that's uh, going to be the first of many. Uh, there's already a bunch of stuff that's delayed or really hard to obtain. And the flip side of that is also raising prices. And it's not just tech. Uh, bicycles as well. I'm trying to buy a bicycle. I'm being quoted delivery times of May, maybe. Uh, and meanwhile, people are trading secondhand bikes for multiples of sticker price. Uh, so there you go. Another call. Sorry, go ahead. I, I, I don't think this is going to change, by the way. And I think Cisco is no. completely within their right to, to raise prices now. I mean, people are forsaking their discounts and buying from Cisco distribution today just to get stuff on time because i think the delivery exactly. times are, are for for some equipment is nine to 12 months right i mean how if if you're opening an office if you're if you have projects i mean how, how do you how do you, you function with that timeline yeah and i think the semiconductor issue i don't think it's going away i've now heard of companies that are you know let's say they have a specific semi um like a, a specific chip that they put in their equipment, they are buying any inventory they can find. So there are companies hoarding, hoarding a lot of um, yeah. a, a lot of equipment now, and yeah, buying basically everything they can their hands on. So I think it's going to get difficult. But if any company is listening, and you know what your competitors are using, yeah, maybe you want to take it off the shelf, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah buy a bunch of I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Couldn't That's possibly kind of crazy, crazy <laughs> stuff. Crazy stuff. Yeah. And it's not just Cisco, just, I mean, you know. No, yeah, exactly. yeah, it's, no, it's not, it's right. not, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, in fairness, I, is the labor market all that different? Are we not just buying people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like stealing from competitors, I hear all day long, right? Same, same. Skill sets are equally in high demand. Yeah, no, that's great. Lilac brings out a good point. Human capitals, it's also an issue. You're just right. another form of capital. Yeah. Uh, speaking of stock prices, uh, that can also go wrong, though. We talked back in episode 30 about Zoom buying 5.9 uh, in an all-stock transaction. Well, what happened was that then Zoom stock crashed 23%, and so 5.9 called it off. They said, no, this is no longer worth our well. So, you know, that can also happen. Uh, so we've got links to, to that in the show notes and to that previous episode. Cash is still king. Cash is, Cash still is king. king, always. 
With that, we come to recommendations. I'm going to re-up my recommendation from last week, and I'm going to continue doing that all month. You should come to mongodb.local.london if you're in the area. And if you're not, you should attend uh, virtually because it's a hybrid event in person and online, uh, which I think is a one of the good developments that we got out of this last uh, year and change. That it's a lot easier to get value from events, even if you can't attend uh, in person. Uh, so there's a, a link to the registration in there. But what's more important is there's a 50% discount code in there as well. If you attend online, it's free, of course. But if you're going to be there in person, there's a half off for you from me. Anyone else have any good recommendations? Not really, not from here. I mean, haven't played with anything. Don't have anything coming up. Some big conferences coming up, though, in uh, in November with uh, Ignite and AWS. So. Yeah, reInvent is happening. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm tentatively expecting to be there. We'll see how that works out. But uh, um, maybe we can do a on-premises recording. Just to check with uh, with Europe, I mean, um, a lot of mass mandates are removed. Things are pretty much back to normal in Europe. Is that how I would uh, I would take it? Or you're no, that's, maybe a bit different. That's, yeah, that's the UK. They're not Europe, not anymore. They had a referendum party. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I apologize. I should refer to continental Europe and mainland Europe. Yeah, so. exactly. Okay. Uh, no, it's, uh, so around here, it's masks indoors for pretty much anything and vaccination certificates to go indoors pretty much anywhere, except church, because this is still a somewhat Catholic country. Uh, but for instance, <laughs> when I drop off uh, my littlest one at his kindergarten, I have to show the pass uh, morning and evening to picking him up and dropping him off. Wow, uh, okay. Yeah, that's kind of how it's working here. And it's how most events are working, like that MongoDB event. Uh, we're going to be requiring proof of vaccination and masks uh, and uh, reInvent from what I gather is going to be the same. Yeah. Interesting times. Yep. Let's see how Indeed. it goes. Well, with that, thank you all for listening. It's been great having all four of us back. Let's hope we can keep up the streak. And uh, I will be talking to you again next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.